Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, right. Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have a very special guest all the way from the sunny state of Florida. I have Mr. Andrew Compton in the house with me today. Andrew, thank you for taking the time to jam with me. I know this is going to be a lot of fun. We've been looking forward to having this conversation. Oh, I'm totally looking forward to it. Hey, Andrew, for everyone out there that's watching and listening right now and kind of don't know who you are, kind of how you got started in the business, I thought it'd be fun to kick off today's podcast with a little origin story. So, Andrew, how did you get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? Well, I sold a company and, uh, you know, I was looking for something else to do. And I saw there's a local company in Tampa that did a reverse merger and they went public and they were basically providing online leads to small dealerships. And the company was LotVantage and they did basically Craigslist marketing at the time. So I thought, wow, I'd owned a small business. I knew about how valuable online leads were going to be back in the day. I thought, man, you know what? I could sell that. Sure. Plus, I, I wanted equity. You know, I wasn't necessarily looking for a job. So I, I wanted to get an equity position in the company. So I went to the president and I said, hey, listen, here's the deal, man. I already got my money. I don't need yours, but I like what you guys are doing, right? Why don't you let me work for you for 30 days? I think I can sell your product. That's cool. And, uh, you know, if I don't sell anything, then, you know, we shake hand apart friends and we walk away. So I think the first month I put on 12 dealers. The next month I put on 30. The first 100 days we had 100. He was like, hey, man, you think you can build a sales team and do this? I was like, yeah, let's do it. And that's how I got in the car business. <laughs> that's how you got into the business. You know, this is one of those businesses. Once you're in it, you're in it, man. Like it's hard to get. It's it's once it's in your blood, it's it's hard to go and do anything, anything else. You can't go anywhere else. You really can't, right? Yeah, I just, can't. It's just not. It's just not the same. It's just it's really difficult to go do anything else. Hey, I wanted to get into kind of our main topic today because boy, we we you know we had an opportunity to jam you know before we started recording today, and I I love this topic. It's a it's a big topic for me and it's, you know, really what we're talking about today is kind of that vendor, you know, dealer relation, you know, where we've seen it go wrong, where we've seen it go right, how to make it better. So th this is going to be a fun thing, but I thought we kind of start off as, you know, for, for you, like, what is it, what is a good vendor to dealer relationship look like kind of in your opinion? Well, I mean, there's three, I, I call them three categories of those relationships, right? The first category is a vampire, and that relationship is someone is just taking from the other party. Like the only value that the dealer has to the vendor is to pay their bill monthly. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. vendor is going to do everything they can to suck the life out of the dealer, you know, and it's, it's a one-way street. Unfortunately, those relationships exist. You know, there's no, uh, there's no synergies there. Uh, the second type of relationship is the neutral relationship. It's an equitable relationship. The dealer provides a service or the vendor provides a service and the dealer pays a monthly invoice. At least, you know, mm -hmm. one plus one equals two in that relationship. Yeah. And at best, you know, the majority of companies are having equitable relationships. And then the very rare relationship is when you can find a partnership. 
And one plus one doesn't equal two anymore. There's synergy involved and both parties are helping each other grow. And I think that's like the, the best place to be, right? I mean, you know, I, I, I see this happen a lot. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to have relationships like that where, you know, we were able to really work together and, and lean off of each other. They were open with us of what their operational goals were. We were open with them on kind of what our operational goals are. And there's that synergy, that togetherness where I see, you know, really, really cool things happen. And, you know, but, but I, I find a lot of dealerships struggle to get to that place. And, you know, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. I think sometimes it's because I feel with vendors, we play like the proverbial game of cards. Like, you know, you have your cards. I have my cards. We're playing this game of poker back and forth. And, and that's definitely not a place to go. But I, I'm curious for you, like, how do we as dealers and vendors, how do we get to that place of, of synergy where we're able to actually partner and work side by side? Yeah, right. Listen, if you ask anyone, what type of relationship do you want? no one's going to raise their hand and say, Hey, I'm looking for a vampire, right? Like everyone's <laughs> yeah, exactly. going to say, Hey, I want a partner. I want to, I'm looking for synergies. Okay. But, uh, some vendors and even some dealers aren't capable of the, either of those. So how do you get there? Well, I mean, on the vendor side, you work with the right, you work with the right dealers. Not every dealer is equal. I mean, there's, I, I like to say that, and it sounds brutal, but there's a reason small dealers stay small. They have high turnover, you know, senior management is burning people up. They change their pay, pay plans on people. So, it, you know, like those small dealerships that will just grind you, grind you, grind you. Those are the guys that, you know, the vendors that are attracted to those guys are the, uh, are the vampires because they can close those accounts. You know, I, I, I hear what I hear what you're saying about vampires. It's um, I've met a handful of vampires kind of in my in my career. So I'm actually kind of curious for you. You know, what 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 is the the worst thing you've seen a vendor do? <laughs> wow, you put me on the spot. The worst. I mean, as far as the worst thing as a dealer perspective. Sure. So, uh, I was working with a client They had a fairly big, uh, dealer group on their platform and the dealer group was pissed. They were canceling the account. Mm -hmm. So they asked me, Hey, can you talk, can you talk to management? Try, we need to save this account. And I was like, yeah, okay. All right. What's happened here? Where are we at? Give me a little lay of the land. Turns out the old GM put a company credit card on file, right? Yeah. <laughs> this company was invoicing them for a year, and they weren't even using the service. Ah, oh, jeez. Yeah, that's that that's that's a rough one. Um, you know what's funny though is I I've actually seen that happen more often than not. You know, um, I've done many, many operation audits where I've looked at, you know, kind of like what's that vendor? I call it the vendor stew. You know, you have, a, you have a little bit of this sprinkled in. You have a little bit of that sprinkled in. And who and how are you actually using any of these widgets or these techs or these vendors? And it's always I'm always still amazed to find out how many, like, duplications of systems or softwares or widgets that they're paying for. And I've been exactly to, to your point. I've, ha I've found a handful where you know the dealer thought they canceled that five ninety nine a month whatever it was, and two years later they're 
still paying for the bloody thing. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> yeah, so here's the crazy part, right? Imagine this, right? The only reason the dealer figured it is out or figured it out is because his AMX expired and they called him to get the updated number. <laughs> no way. The, the vendor was so disconnected that, that the accounting department actually reached out to ask for a new credit card, even though they had been providing services for over a year. Wow, man. That's 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 and they're like, who are you? And what are we paying for? <laughs> You know, I'll have to say, I, I was I think, like, we're probably not saving this account. No, uh, they haven't used it for a year, but no, but look, there's, it, it's unfortunate, but it does happen. And, you know, I, I will say if there's any silver lining right now to what's going on with the pandemic is I, I've, a lot of dealers have done a good, a good job of really auditing themselves and, you know, not just from like auditing their staff and their labor expenses and their payroll expenses and and really auditing, you know, their their vendor expenses. And I think maybe they're yeah, maybe there's a, no doubt about that. They're, know, they're trying to figure out what vendors are actually up. worth. There's it. no doubt. So then that kind of goes into my next question. It's like, like, how do we. I guess I guess how, how do we identify a good vendor? versus a bad vendor like like how do you know that there's just no way this is ever going to become a partnership and from your opinion well i mean there's a, a lot of work to that i mean uh what certifications does the dealer have what type of integrations does the vendor have with mm -hmm. the with the uh dealer that they're going to partner with like one of the things you know, they're, you know, CDK certified dealers, you know, those are CDK certified vendors. Those vendors spent real money to get the certification. For sure. Right. And then there's workarounds where like vendors can, I don't need this interface. I can get the data from this source and, you know, they're not willing to spend 30, $40,000 a year to get that access. So like making sure that they've already partnered with some of the bigger players. That's, that's, that tells you they're willing to invest in their security. No, no, for sure. You know, you know what I find is I, I and, and me being a dealer and on that side of the table and sitting at that desk, you know, I was able to kind of quickly identify, you know, the difference between a, a good, you know, a good vendor and someone that I could actually see where we're going to create and develop out a partnership was in the questions that they asked. Right. You know, I think too often, you know, I find a lot of vendors, you, you'll sign up for a product and then that's it. They take your credit card and they provide you the product and that's pretty much Good the luck. extent of it. Right. You know, and maybe they check in every once in a while Good for luck. retention for, for uh, uh, reasons, but, but they never, they, they're check-ins for retention, not necessarily growth. So, you know, I found some of the best vendors I ever worked with would actually ask me operationally or from a marketing perspective, what was my goals? And, you know, they would go back and show me how their product or service could actually help me meet my goals. You know, I, I'm sure you've probably seen this too, but I'm curious for yourself, like for your, th like, you know, like. Well, look at the business case. Look at the business case for the vendor. Okay. Mm -hmm. The vendors, they're going to hire someone to do some account management. It's usually a junior level person. Hopefully they have a college degree, right? But they're coming into this role with no, without a lot of business experience. Yep, and now sure. they're supporting very sophisticated business operations. So I was working with a client one time and they were trying to figure out why the GM wasn't calling them back. 
right? And I was like, uh, <laughs> you're worried about a login and you've already left three voicemails for this GM? Your product's 600 bucks a month. Like how many voicemails do you think he needs to figure out the login? He's never going to log into your system. So I'm just like, do you understand this guy's running yeah. a multi-million dollar operation? You've left him three voicemails today. You've got 10 competitors. He's going to cancel right now. You've just ruined it for yourself. <laughs> ain't that ain't that the truth? They don't understand. Well, you know what it is? It's, oh, I, I understand think a lot my of vendors... product. They didn't return my phone call. I'll call three times. <laughs> I think what it is is a lot, of, a, a lot of vendors don't necessarily understand that, you know, to, to, the value, you know, to a to a dealer is not necessarily what you provide, but it, it is how you exceed the expectation is necessarily the value, right? I mean, 100%. Look, 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 if you're a website 100%. provider, like, let me think about this. Like, how many thousands of website providers are out there? I mean, there's there's thousands of them, you know? So, okay, cool. You, you've met my expectations. That's right. They have options. You've met my expectations as a vendor. You provided me a website. <clears throat> but what is, what, what's that, that cherry on the top? You know, the glue that's going to, you know, really bring me that additional value. And, and for me, it's always kind of been my consulting. You know, it's like I'll come in and I'll consult. I'll work with you even, you know, on something that we're not even helping with. You know, just because of my background and my experience. But I feel like vendors got to find that. How, how do you think a vendor can find, you know, that, that gray space where they can Listen, meet a man, customer's expectations? I mean, my friend, a good friend of mine, Jay Smithwick, he owns a company called 360 Booth. They, they've got the booth that does the uh, very cool stuff. rotation on the photos. Yeah, but I've talked to you before. Very cool product, right? But he, 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 he says, your give a damn can't be broken. Like, you really just have to give it. It has to come down <laughs> to that. Do you give a damn about the your, your customers or not? Yeah. Because yeah. if you don't, then... They'll just pay at best. They're going to pay their invoice every month and you're going to give them something and it's going to be equitable. Right. But if your give a damn's broken, it's like, it's going to be so bad for everyone. I mean, that's how it is. And unfortunately, you know, I don't know if the give a damn's broken or management didn't do a good job training the, you know, the Ford, the boots on the ground support and salespeople of exactly the business case that the dealers live with every day. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, like it is, it is. Like I, like, I like to give a damn. Like if I really you understood do. how much they value their time, like their time is, exactly. these guys are making 250 plus a year. All right. Their operation is bigger than yours. Yeah. So it's, it's like, you what, cannot so, waste this guy's time. hundred percent. So, so it, it, time is definitely one. What are some of the additional value a vendor can bring to a dealer and in, in your, kind of your thoughts? Listen, there's, you know, the vendors have so much access to data because they've got a big data set, right? That's and a good point. The dealers know how to sell cars. You can't teach a dealer how to sell cars. But if you look at, you know, even inside one vendor's dealer base, right? There's, you know, it's the 80, 20 rule, 20% are going to be killing it, killing it. And then mm -hmm. there's going to mm -hmm. be everyone that's, you know, kind of using it. They can do a lot better job of showing them the difference of the guys that are killing it versus the guys that are just, you know, surviving. Oh, I, I think that's a, I think that's a great point. I mean, it, the, the data that as vendors we do have, all right, can bring, you know, great insight and perspective to a dealership. You know, and, and that's that's a great way where I think a vendor can actually provide, 
you know, some some additional value, you know, to them. But that's a pretty big commitment, right? Like to sit down and really digest, you know, all of the data points that we have, and and then put something together to to put out there. I think it says a it says a lot as a vendor. Now, I've met some good vendors. I've met some bad vendors. I'll actually I'll, here I'll tell you a quick story. I, I I actually had to throw a vendor out of my dealership one time. And what I mean throw, I mean physically I physically it. grab him by his jacket, lift him up. And just like, oh, you put hands on. Oh, yeah. No, seriously. I, that's how bad it was getting. Like, I mean, it was it was it was five or seven times of telling him to leave my office and he wasn't going to physically leave my office. And and it was because I didn't understand his product. And that's that's what it was. It, it got it got bad. I don't know. Maybe he was drinking before he showed up to my dealership or something like that. But it's it's hilarious. It's because he's still in the business. I mean, that's a common that's run, a common process. If the dealers <laughs> if the dealers don't adopt my product or I can't sell the dealers and they don't get it, they don't understand it. You know, it, they blame. They don't look in the mirror. You know, but here's what I know about dealers. If hey Jason, mm-hmm. if me and you're a dealer. If me and you were walking down the street and there's a hundred dollar bill on the ground, I might get physically hurt while you push me out of the way to get that hundred dollar bill. <laughs> it's not true. like dealers don't recognize value, That's right? True. They're going to bend down and pick up the hundred bucks, even if it's in a pile of mud. So if they're not reacting to your product, they see no value. You got to blame yourself. Your value doesn't even represent a hundred. Your product doesn't even represent present the value of a hundred dollars that's the way i look at it you're so right and we kind of talked about it a little earlier too it's like how to bring value like i, I tell you I, I had one golden rule when it comes to vendors and i didn't care what vendor it was i really didn't all right the second that they said that all it takes is to sell one more car and i will make up the expense of whatever widget or product they were selling i immediately just disconnected just just i mean you, you, you i'm sure you've heard this one a billion here's, times here, right here's, here's <laughs> Here's the marketing strategy for 90% of the vendors. Hey, listen, I've got a game changer, cloud-based, disruptive, transformative technology that's a no-brainer. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? And, and, and you only have to sell one more car to cover the expense of it. I mean, come on, who wouldn't do that? Now, that's one. Now, the other ones that I think that really kind of drive me nuts uh, from the vendor side is the vendors that are willing to come into a dealership and tell me as a dealer, all right, how I'm not running my business right. And they know how to run my business better than I do. Have you, have you seen this before? <laughs> have you heard of this? Yeah, it's a symptom of, you know, you've got to, and listen, I was not in the automotive industry, but when I was early in my sales career, you, you know, I got trained, I closed it to a couple deals. I thought I knew what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. So as a sales guy, you're competitive, you get aggressive, you start really, you know, believing, you know, what's going on. So you start telling your customers what you think they should be doing. It's a symptom. It's a symptom of just just inexperienced sales reps. It it, it really is. Actually, that's, that's, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. It is a symptom um, of just inexpensive uh, rep. Now, now, Let's talk about like the best approach then, because we've done a good job kind of talking about the worst approaches we've ever seen. All right. What do you think the best approach is to approach a dealer with a product or service that you're trying to sell? Uh, Listen, the one guy, when I got into automotive, the one guy I started studying was Dale Pollock at B Auto. Like Mm -hmm. this was way before he sold his company, you know, and he, 
if you look at his uh, blog post, Velocity, uh, you look at what his company did, he created the category and he educated the dealers first. He taught them the value of having a velocity mindset. Like he stuck his he stuck his flag in the ground. He says, hey, listen, this is what I believe in. This is what we're going to do. And this is what I'm going with. So the dealers believed it. His team believed it. And he sold his company to Cox for, you know, I don't know, 11 figures or something. Oh, yeah. He definitely definitely is someone who uh, who knows how to approach a dealer. But I'm, I'm still I'm, – I'm, look, I – I, I get it because I've been on the dealer side, of course. Now you I'm can't on the sell the dealers; well. you got to educate them, right? You, you got to educate like, them. Here's but- the thing: they've been selling cars. They've been selling cars for thirty years, a hundred years, right? Whatever, right? Like you're not going to help them sell more cars faster. Like I already sell enough cars. Like I selling cars isn't my problem. The thing is, they they've got problems, and they know they have problems, but they're cool dealing with their problems because it isn't life or death. So you've got to show, you've got to prove. To the dealer, you understand their business and you can solve a problem because everyone's selling vaporware. Like, yeah, I can I can help you sell more cars <laughs> faster. Uh, I just had a record year last year. I couldn't sell any more cars if I wanted to. My factory won't give me any more inventory. That's like true. that message isn't going to work. So what what message would you say does work? You know, I mean, look, it's, it's, well, you got to drill down. You've got to drill down and show them that you understand that, that, you know, they say the riches are in the niches or whatever. <laughs> I get, listen, it, I don't like that cliche, but if you can show the dealer, first of all, you got to challenge them. You can't placate them and say, Hey buddy, listen, I could really help you out and hope like we're going to be friends and he's going to give you money. Yes. Like, they don't. They don't need more friends. All no, right. That, so they, that, that, that's actually that. a really good point. Let's. That's. That's very true. Look, it's not necessarily we're looking for friends. We're looking for business value here, right? So you've got to communicate to them that you understand their business and you can deliver value. And if you've not, like, if you're a green pea rep and you work for a vendor and you've never sold cars, well, okay. How are you going to understand? Is how are you going to understand? his business. So what I never sold cars, I worked mm-hmm. one, I worked two days at a dealership, got fired. And then I never went back to it. That's a different story. <laughs> if you don't understand to it, if you're talking to a dealer principal and he can under, he can smell it through the phone if you don't know what you're talking about. So what did I do? I reached out to industry experts. When I first got into sales, selling the car dealers, I reached out to Dale Pollock. I reached out to uh, Brian Pash, I reached out to people to say, Hey man, what do I, I just got into this industry. I don't know what I should do. What do I do? And they said, read as much as you can and listen to your customers. And I said, okay, cool. So I started going online. I would read, I went and read like SEC. Uh, I read reports mm-hmm. like the SEC transcripts from public dealer groups when their CEOs would talk and I'm taking notes, you know, yep. and I'm, I'm, talking to my dealers and I'm, I'm saying, and I tell them straight up, listen, man, I've never been in the car business. I don't know anything about this. You know, today's my first month on the job. I don't want to say anything. And I would follow my sword and let him, I wouldn't try to be something I wasn't right. For sure. And I'd I ask questions. I'd shut up and listen. Okay. Now there you go. I, I think that's actually the biggest advice that we can actually give to vendors that are approaching dealers. Is it just to shut up? 
just to, just 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 shut up and listen to what the dealer has to say. I mean, I I, I find some my biggest success or your with customers, your, well, that's what your I'm best customers are going to tell you where they're well, uh, what what they like about your product. A hundred percent. But but it's just it. I I find that you know for me the best connections I've created with dealers is just listening, being a soundboard that's both professional and not opinionative. You know, like I don't have to say something every single time they say something. I, I gotta be honest with you, I'm actually dumbfounded sometimes what willing what dealers are willing to share with me. Um, and I never oh my God, to do they, that, but it's just, it's you just think listen. about it, they built companies. They have built companies. Like there's companies the dealer feedback is built and they have no they have no idea like how valuable their feedback is. The best question the best question a sales rep could ask a dealer starts with this. Help me understand. Mm, like help that. me understand. Cause he's going to say something and it's like, wow, help me understand. Why is that important to you, Mr. Dealer? And he could be a, like a dealer group and he'll say, well, listen, man, I, I manage four stores. I need centralized reporting. I don't want to log in five times to, you know, three logins and you know, I can't pull these reports. Wow, that's interesting. Why do you say that? Well, I spend 20 hours a week pulling reports. Mm -hmm. Hmm. You know, now you take that information and next time you talk to a, you know, a multi-rooftop group, you say, hey, listen, you don't have to log in. You can pull these reports. We can save you 20 hours. It's so valuable. But you're going to stick with, I can help you sell more cars faster. Yeah, that just, just seems a wrong approach. So, like, I... I don't know. I've I've been playing around a lot with kind of different approaches, and like right now, our approach is that we we set up a discovery call first, so that we can learn a little bit about each other before we even talk about our products or services. And and I find that allows me to kind of, um, I guess, filter through the dealers that actually do want to connect and create a partner versus ones that are just looking to you know check out the proverbial box that they hired some company to do, handle their marketing right it's like if they're willing to get on and so that i can learn a little bit about them and their operations they can learn a little bit about me then then it's feel like okay cool we can actually talk about the product from a place of understanding each other versus it just coming down to a sales pitch you know do you think that's the i'm not 100 sure do you think that's the right way to do it though uh, no, I don't think it's the right way to do it. All right, let's play I it think, out. Uh, on me. I think, I think dealers are shark smart. All right. And what I mean by, I used to lifeguard in Hawaii and anytime you mm -hmm. go in the water in Hawaii, I promise you there is a shark in that water within half a mile. <laughs> yep. But they won't bother you. These sharks won't bother you. They don't attack people. In fact, they ignore you. Why? Because they don't think there's anything of value there. There's nothing to eat so that Makes you're sense. safe in the water. But as soon as a sh one shark starts eating, you don't want to be in that water. It'll create a feeding frenzy and they're all going to come. So dealers are apex predators. Like these are the top of the food chain we're For talking sure. about. For right. Sure. So if you want to attract a dealer to your, to whatever you're selling, you're not going to do it with artificial bait and, cliches and all this other stuff you got to be shark smart okay i'm listening let's go keep going smart shark. So, so what do dealers like listen dealers want to know what the competitors are doing dealers want to know that you can deliver on what you say right it's got to be a little deeper than you know we're going to help you sell more cars faster right so going back to Dale Pollock, if you look at Dale Pollock and you review, analyze his blogs, mm -hmm, he'll mm -hmm. start off and, you know, it's, it's very deliberate. He starts off with, 
Yesterday, I talked to a dealer principal in Texas that owned three rooftops. What did he do right there? He identified his target market. He's yep, speaking to someone. When that content goes out, if I own three stores, I'd be like, hey, that's me. Do I have your attention? This dealer principal said he was dealing with this problem, and he outlines a very specific business case. We're dealing with this. That dealer principal, the other guy says, wow, that's me. I'm dealing with this too. So he's shaking his head up and down going, saying, yes, that's me. Yes, that's my problem. Yes, it sounds like this guy knows what he's talking about. That's a lot different than I can help you sell more cars faster. But to get to that level, you got to understand the dealer's problems. You can't oh, have a you, marketing you, person sitting you in have a room to earn, that's never talk to dealers. 100%. You, ha- you have to earn the right to actually be able to have the conversation. So that means that regardless if the dealer ends up doing business with you or not, they got value from the 15 or 30-minute conversation that you had. So, no, I actually think I think that's a, that's a great point, I think, for vendors out there. It's like, you know what, even if I don't work with that's you. That's the goal. Right? That's right. If Even if I don't work, because I actually think about this. Like, there has been, there was a vendor that reached out to me one time and did exactly this. Um, really brought me some very cool uh, stats that I just simply didn't know about some marketing opportunities and stuff that, but like, I, at the end of the day, what he was pitching was something that we were already executing. So I didn't necessarily really need his services, but he left me with something that I actually ended up handing it off to my team. And then my team actually saw some value. And the kicker was, is I probably ended up referring two or three dealerships to him, even though I never even ended up doing business with him. So think I, about that, right? I mean, yeah. And I think, I think about, about that. It, yeah. That says, that says a lot. And most, it? most people, most vendors think once they close the dealer, the deal's done, and now we got a customer. No, that's not the case, guys. No, that's totally true. This guy's still about he's, – he's so skeptical. Like your sales guy, he sold it, right? But now the dealer's going to evaluate it. Yep. And during this evaluation process, they're super skeptical. Like they're guarded. They've been burned so many times. So any little thing that goes wrong is exaggerated in the dealer's mind. Okay, so they're actually looking for a reason to cancel early. I don't care if you give them a 30 day trial, you know, you're going month to month or you put them in a contract. Right. The dealers in that I call it a 90 day window because. Initially, when he activates, okay, he's a customer, but he's not a client. And then even if he is a client, is he going to refer business for you? Yeah, that's great. That's a different level. 100 percent. So then I look at, I was working with a dealer one time, or a vendor one time. We were looking at his accounts and I was like, man, you've got this store, this store, and this store. They're part of the Asbury group, but how come you only have three stores? And they're looking at me like, what? And I was like, dude, you didn't understand these are Asbury stores? So then I talked <laughs> to their customer service people and I was like, hold on, help me understand this. You've got Asbury on your, you've got an Asbury account paying a premium. You got Billy Bob dirt lot over here calling support 20 times, right? Beating you up on price, paying his bills late, always having a new internet manager. And he's monopolizing your service time. Meanwhile, Asbury isn't going to call you. They're going to cancel and find someone else. 100%. Asbury's got 250 stores. And you're servicing the Billy Bob dirt lot Mm -hmm. because you're, 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 Customer support people don't understand that the courtesy is part of an Asbury group and they don't, they, they just didn't know the dynamics of the automotive ecosystem, right? 
Oh, that's true. That, like, that's, so they're, that's actually they're really supporting point, a squeaky so. wheel where the good wheels that would grow their business are getting ignored. You know, I, I will have to say that was actually – Who do you blame? You know, when I was a dealer, that was one of the things that – that was another big pet peeve for me is that, you know, I would have vendors call on me and not know anything about me, like nothing. You know, didn't take, you know, the five or seven minutes that it takes to look me up on LinkedIn or, or have sad, any, isn't it? Right. Like they just like I'm like, so they'll, they'll say stuff or they'll bring stuff up. And I'm like, do you know anything about me as an individual? And so let's talk a little bit about that. No, but my you know, product's so good. My product's so good. I don't even need to. You need it. <laughs> I know. But like, let's give some advice to some of the vendors out there that are watching and listening right now. Like, you know, you know how much time would you normally recommend to be spent on really kind of learning or researching, you know, your potential client? Listen, man, right up front, you want to make a dream. You don't want to work with every dealer in America. You want to work with the best dealers. So you, you want to make a list of the dealers you want to target. A lot For of vendors sure. are like any port in a storm and they'll take any deal that they can get. You know, this is revenue. We need to do it. No, that's not. <laughs> it's not revenue. It's going to cannibalize your business. You want to charge a premium and the dealers will pay your premium if you give them the service. If you've got to cut costs, then you're not giving them the service, right? So I wouldn't even focus on like what dealers I would work on. Here's what I do know. When you do the service right, you get referrals. You get the sister stores, yep. you get people 100%. that leave one dealership. Like if I'm an internet manager or sales manager at this store and I go to another store, when you're doing the service right, when that guy starts a new job, he calls you up and says, hey, Andrew, I'm at a new store. I'm going to put you in. Then you know you're doing it right. A very Until then, you're not doing it right. Scoreboard will tell you that. Oh, the dealers don't understand. They don't get it. They're <laughs> old school. No, it's not. No, they, they most they do most definitely anyways. get it. Now, I, I do want to I want to transition our conversation just a little over to something that's been bugging me a lot lately, especially in the last you know twelve to twenty four months, as you know uh, some of these new let's say data policies on some of these vendors that are coming out. Um, you know, look, dealers are not reading the thirty seven page data policy that a lot of these vendors have. And I just don't think dealers necessarily understand they're sitting on a gold mine of data. And there are some vendors out there that are definitely taking advantage of this. And I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on it. Uh, can I take the fifth on this one? <laughs> no, you got to come on, give it to me. <laughs> yeah, here's the deal. The dealers are sitting on a gold mine, right? And they're yeah. getting exploited left and right. Like, you know, you've... I mean, listen, you've been in this city, this town, this, this, this area for 30 years, and you've got a CRM or a DMS filled with data, and you're going to give yep. that data to, you're going to let someone else access that data? I don't know, man. I mean, that's saying your data isn't that valuable. So having, you know, going back to what we were talking about before, you know, having certain certifications and showing that these vendors are getting audited or at least they're paying for a certified interface, whether it's CDK, Reynolds, whoever, or, you know, in other industries like banking, there's, you know, there's certifications that the vendors have to spend real money on to get access to their customers' data. Like SOC 2 is a big deal. And in finance industry, right? And 
there's a lot of F and, there's a lot of people doing F and I stuff and a lot of people that are getting consumer information that don't have, you know, they got a dude who wrote some code who was a friend of a brother, you know, and they've got a hundred dealers on their platform. So yeah, it's a huge deal. Like I wouldn't access any, I wouldn't even, if I became a dealer today, I probably wouldn't give my data even third party marketplaces. Like that's how valuable uh, I think even that is. No, I look, I think, I think those uh, third party marketplaces, those are the ones I actually really get scared about like super fast. I mean, when, if you actually sat down and read them, you know, you, you'll see that, you know, they, they have access to, to, to all of your customers. They have access to the behavior of those customers on your websites. I mean, even some website vendors, I'd be pretty scared. You know, like we have a, we have a big third party vendor up here and I won't say the name, but everybody knows who I'm, who I'm talking about, who just launched this new, um, marketing product. And look, the reality is, is that they are taking the traffic that is generated through these dealers inventory on their third party site and then reselling, right? The, the those remarketed cookies to other dealers. So, so I'm a dealer. I put my inventory on this third party site and you know, people come to the third party site to look at my inventory and look at the pictures and watch the videos. And then this, this third party vendor is reselling that traffic, you know, back to, back to another, back to another dealer. I mean, that's it, what they did, man. It's seriously disgusting. So like, how does a dealer protect themselves from that kind of crap? Well, I mean, the first thing I tell them is, listen, the denial of complexity is a form of deception. So what I mean mm -hmm. by that, listen, when a vendor tells me, yeah, we've got that covered, don't worry about it, it's no big deal. They're, they're trying to say it's not, a, it's not a complicated issue, but it really is a complicated issue. And to deny how complicated it is, is meaning someone's getting deceived. Oh, for sure, 100%. Like, I mean, it is, it, it, but it's when they take a step and say, wow, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Here's what we're going to do. And they outline how they're going to manage that. That's a different answer. No, I agree. I look, I, dealers got to be educated on their data. I, I really do. Cause I, I don't think they understand the power of, of all the different data points that are being collected from the service department, from the parts department, from the, the, the sales department. And, you know, still as an industry, I don't think we do a good enough job of utilizing our data in the first place. But man, dealers really need to protect that, you know, just putting that stuff out there and not reading these, you know, like I just had a dealer, you know, actually have a hey, lawyer. Wait, I'm going to have to wrap this up. I had an hour for you. Oh, do you? Okay. You know what? Let's let, let's yeah. just, I know we're towards the tail end of our time. So um, for everyone out there that's watching, listening, I want to take this moment to really thank you for jumping on and having this conversation. Uh, this has been a blast. Glad and, to be here. And I hope you have yourself an amazing day, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Let's do it again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy Mob Podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to sign up to be a mobster at strategymob.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe.